What if there was a way that you could map business impact? And by that, I mean real world results, bottom line results to learning, to your investment in learning, to the investment in training and developing your talent using numbers, using quantitative analytics. Wouldn't that be great? Well, spoiler alert for you. I just caught up with two thought leaders on this topic, James Meadows and Brandon Brodkin. Uh, they're awesome, by the way. But I had a great conversation. It was a far-ranging conversation. We, we did everything from making dirty dancing analogies um, to uh, data cakes. Uh, you know, Brandon James really made this idea of data sound delicious. And I, I can't wait for you to listen to this one. You're going to have a lot of fun with it. Stand by and enjoy. Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the Performance Matters podcast, sponsored by GP Strategies, the world's leading talent transformation organization. I'm your host, Michael Thiel, and as always, it's an honor and a privilege to share some time with you. Today, we're talking about mapping business impact to learning with analytics. And to use a dirty dancing homage, by the way, that's a movie from the 80s, if you haven't heard of it. We're talking about taking baby, <laughs> I mean learning, out of the HR and compliance corner and letting it soar in the arms of analytics. Yes, my friends, we're ready to have the time of our lives. Our dance partners today on the podcast are James Meadows and Brandon Brodkin, two professionals who come to this discussion with valuable perspectives on this topic. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Detect a little bit of a, a British accent here, James, is that correct? Definitely, definitely British through and through. Very cool. And Brandon, how are you today, sir? Swell, swell, especially after that intro, Michael. I'd like you to put yourselves into context for our global audience. And since James has the UK accent, I'm going to let him go first here. So James, tell us a little bit about you, uh, what you do, where you live, that kind of thing. Yeah, thanks, Michael. So I am the director in our sales division. Um, specifically, I suppose I, I hold the client service lead role for um, a couple of our largest clients, which you know, in general means that I spend a lot of time working with those clients trying to figure out how do we push the boundaries forward of what they do in learning, how they do it, you know, where they're going next. Um, and analytics is is totally you know, top of their agenda at the moment. So yeah, lots of conversations going on on in that space. Um, as you say, yeah, I'm I'm British. I uh, I resided just outside of London um, in, a, in a small town called Guildford. Um, which is great, you know, best of both worlds. You've got London at your fingertips and uh, and the and the outside and the green world, yeah, sort of outside of London, which is uh, which is fantastic. Very cool. You've got an unfair advantage on this podcast too with that cool British voice. So, um, you know, Brandon and I are going to have to work hard to keep up with you. So welcome though. We appreciate you being here, James. No worries. Yes. Okay, Brandon, tell us about you. Put us in, put you, put Brandon Brodkin into context for us. Brilliant. So, um, and, and brilliant, I picked up from my British. Brilliant. Company. So I use it, overuse <laughs> it. 
Uh, so my name is Brandon Brodkin. I'm a director of sales and partnerships here at Watershed. So Watershed is the world's first learning analytics uh, platform. And uh, I am not in the UK. I am just south of Nashville in Tennessee. So the other accent you might hear is an occasional y'all or something like that coming from the south. Um, and yeah, yeah. So so excited to speak with you all today. I've worked a few times with James and meeting Michael for the first time. And it's it's really exciting. Very cool. Well, we're excited to have you. And we like to have some fun here on the Performance Matters podcast. So before we get into the serious meet, I like to challenge all of my fellow dance partners and just have them share one fun or surprising fact about themselves with our global listening audience. So James, I'm going to put you on the hot seat here first over there. I know because you're you're already in your afternoon here. What's one fun or surprising fact about James Meadows? I, I, I love this. I had to rack my brains. It's like, what's fun and surprising? I'm like, oh God, no, I've got to, I've got to think of something fun. Um, so actually, uh, I, I actually went out and asked a couple of people. I was like, what have I done that's fun? Um, but I think, <laughs> I think one of the best things that, that one of my friends came back with was, uh, was so during lockdown in the UK, and yeah, we're, we're all aware of the, the the fun we've had over the last couple of years. But I started making furniture, so I, I got I got really bored that first summer, and I went, you know, we need a table for the conservatory. I'm going to make it. So uh, so yeah, during lockdown, I took I taught myself uh, or what is it called furniture carpentry and started Whoa. making started making furniture. So my current dining table is a, is a homemade creation. That's pretty baller. That's pretty sweet. And you know, we are on video chat for the purposes of this recording. And I'm going to say one thing that I don't think you made that I, I think I have too, is in, in your top of your bookshelf is a Ikea, one of those little <laughs> squares that pop up. I have like four of those in my bedroom. So I saw that. I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. You didn't, you didn't stitch that one no, together. Did you? I didn't, okay. I, did, I didn't stitch that one together. I have a little girl. <laughs> um, so I have no end of those boxes <laughs> filled with crafting. Stuff. Oh, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Okay. Uh, Brandon in Nashville, y'all. Okay. What's one fun or surprising fact about Brandon Brodkin? This was another thing, like James said, that I had to rack my brain on to sound as interesting as possible. And I think what I landed on, what I landed on is that uh, by day I'm a sales director and and work with global customers, and then by night uh, in the evenings I coach soccer. So I coach one of the private schools, uh, uh, American soccer, British football. James, just for you, it, you know, James is over there, kind of cringing, like, oh, soccer, man. <laughs> But I have to. I have to. I'm not dividing anyone. We're uniting under the under the school. <laughs> so uh so yeah, so I coach a private school, their high school team, and uh and that's that's my fun fact. That's what I got for you today. Oh, that's a great one. Very cool stuff. Well, I, I think we're gonna have a good time here today. And uh we're we're shifting gears here. We're we're doing a little two-step combo and we're gonna start talking about really the main topic, which is how do we map business impact to learning with analytics. And, you know, I want to ask a stupid question. You know, I've got to do this. I've got to be the one here that looks like the stooge, but I just want to ask you two brilliant gentlemen that are in this world of learning analytics to just define this term analytics first, before we get into the learning part. So who wants to take this fifth grade type question for me? So everyone is very comfortable with the topic. I'll start, right? So if we were to go definition, Webster definition, it's yes. going to be something around. Pull out, pull out the big Webster's thing there. <laughs> well, the dust off it. Um, it, it it's going to be something around systematic 
computational analysis of data relevant to a problem or what have you, right? But the way I see it in my 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 monkey mind is is just leveraging data that we have collected and and analyzing that, right? So we're gonna use analyze and analytics in the same definition of the word to to drive certain outcomes or insights, right? So so we have data and now we're we're putting some type of rigor over it, right? And and bringing that data together and then being able to drive insights with it on the on, on the other side. So what I'm hearing is it's making sense of things using numbers and and uh and and math and things like that right to to make informed decisions making sense is that okay i'm trying to really get down here because i'm a creative director type person where i think visually and you know uh you, know, you can tell from my dirty dancing analogies there's a there's a lot of horsepower under the hood on that side <laughs> okay so let's talk about our world here and that's learning you know i i know with analytics i'm a big golf guy and they're always doing things like you know strokes gained and this guy is putting and he's gaining 1.3 putts over the the crowd and everything like that but let's talk about learning here so why would a company need to leverage learning analytics so that's that's a question. I'm going to put this one over here to James first because you are actively diving into this world of financial services with various global clients. So what's your take on this? Why is this so important? I think I think the the biggest thing for for clients is that they spend a huge amount of money on learning. Yeah, it's it's we talk about you know sort of it being one of the areas where companies spend externally. You know. Millions of millions of pounds per year to train their staff. You know, previously that's largely been done by you know gut feel. I think we need to train the team in X, or I think we need this capability. You know, and that hasn't ever led to us being able to go right. We've spent this money on this learning. Did it actually do what we wanted it to do? But also in the background, we've now got learning management systems, we've got LXPs, we've got more data than you can shake a stick at. So actually, yeah, analytics now becomes really critical in learning because for the first time ever, we've got the data, we've got data coming through HR systems, we've got data coming out of, you know, company systems, whether it's, you know, sort of metrics around quality, whether it's metrics around, you know, sort of the, the you know, employee satisfaction and, you know, and learning that we can then start to take insights through to, are we making a difference? Is that learning product making a difference? You know, are we spending our money in the right place? And I think that's why analytics has been become so critical in learning because, you know, as we've moved through the last few years, we've got so much data that actually now it's about, you know, really driving the insights from it, really starting to mm. get into that wonderful world of, can we prove that return on investment? That that sounds like a unicorn to me because, you know, I've been in this whole learning world, at least in the automotive sector since 98. And, you know, traditionally everyone's, you know, justifiably so, and you've got million dollars of investments. So like, how are we doing? And we'll be like, well, the, uh, the crowd really liked the food. Uh, they were very happy with the trainer, right? Um, they thought the trainer was really nice. But when you get into those, uh, to you know, use the nerd terms, those Kirk, Kirkpatrick uh, measurements of levels three and four of did you actually make a business improvement? And we've always been like, well, it's kind of uh, difficult to do that. You know, yeah. it's hard to hard to, <laughs> to measure that. And it sounds like what you're telling me now is there's a lot of data coming in, so there's 
there's a way you're telling me there's a chance is what we're saying here, right? I think that's the, I think that's the best way of putting it. There's a, there's a chance we can start to now take business metrics, business outcomes, and map those through the design cycles of learning, and therefore measure the outcomes of it. You know, okay. and that's where you really get to because if you've designed it around a business outcome, you've implemented it, and you can and you can you know, gather some data at the far side of it. We can start to derive those insights from it. You know, can we prove return on investment? That probably is a unicorn, but I think we can get a damn sight closer to it than we have in the past. Now, Brandon, you were saying that the organization you're with, Watershed, actually does this kind of thing. Is that correct? So, so let me start here. We'll come back to Watershed in a second. So, so the reason baby has been in the corner, right, is because <laughs> typically learning could only bring a very uh, finite amount of data to the conversation. And that was limited by SCORM, right? So that's someone took a course, got a score on this day, this time, and, and what have you, right? So super limited, right? The big four. You right, say. very limited. So when you bring that, we're only we're only checking boxes. It's compliance, HR, um, learning fit under HR. But, but to what James just said, where we're starting to see data across systems, right? That more platforms, more systems. And with that becomes access to more data, especially like he mentioned with measurement of the business outcomes. Now, learning has this, this plethora of data through a plethora of platforms that we can start, what I like to say, building a data cake, right? And instead of that- mm. found Sounds delicious, by the way. Sounds delicious, it is, especially if you <laughs> properly, I guess we could say. Uh, okay, okay. So, 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 Watershed was came from a project out of an organization named Rustacy Software, who basically co-created Scorm, right? So, oh, I was going to say. I mean, I've used Rustacy for years as my sandbox, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, for to to make sure that courses that we're building are actually going to work. So you're yeah. saying that company built this this uh, this learning analytics platform? Is that exactly. correct? Exactly. So okay. Got it. Started out as a project. the The DoD in the U.S. was like, it, learning is happening elsewhere, and we need the next learning spec to be able to track learning outside of just the LMS, right? So. Um, Watershed started out as a project within Rustacy, and, and the project was to create XAPI, and that's a, a more flexible communication or interoperability. Keep me away from all the, the geeky terms because I could get down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm starting to blink a little bit. I'm like, XAPI. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands right now. They're coming up. <laughs> So, so continue so on, continue on. This is very interesting though. It, it starts out as being able to track learning outside of the LMS, video platforms, reviewing PDFs and everything like that. So now that content is being hosted outside the LMS. Now we need to understand how we can track that data, right? Um, okay, so so now that we, we identified that and now we want to be able to, how and how, how, I think the question was, how would a company then leverage learning analytics, right? Yeah. So, so, so exactly what James said, the first part's always the money. You have this robust ecosystem by first bringing all this data together into a single system. You're able to have a pulse on your ecosystem. Where's utilization? How can we cut scrap learning? We can get all into all of that later. And then if we like fundamentally look at why are people in L&D, they want to make people better, right? To help other individuals. Ultimately, those people within the organization can then be better or more effective at training and learning and developing people within the organization. 
let's say the third leg of that stool becomes how can we then understand if we're moving the needle on the business outcome, right? So, so why leverage it? And it's for those three main reasons, a plus a plethora of others, the money, cost savings, cost optimization, uh, people driving more effective training, and then impacting the business, moving the needle. All right. So you two are really talking about the, the important here is it's about ensuring that you're, you're basically putting your poker chips in the right area, making this informed decision. And also importantly, also just saying, okay, let's not put money in this area because we're not getting the ROI, right? It's like if there was a, a competitor movie to Dirty Dancing and you knew that it wasn't going to be a global phenomenon and it would go straight to VHS tape, then let's not put our money there, right? So yeah. uh, clean dancing or something like that. So I'll probably cut <laughs> that one, by the way. But <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think I will. You guys are laughing. That means we're going straight to the top. We're going straight to the top. Okay. So let me ask you guys, you gentlemen, excuse me. I don't want to offend my British counterpart here. Um, in terms of making this happen, this all sounds very cool. In, in terms of how do you do this? I don't even know how to say, how do you get the files in the computer? How do you take all these bits of data and then, you know, put it together to, to get impact or to isolate impact? What do you call that? Well, well, and to that point, GP has this idea of measurement mapping, right? So if, if we want to have a specific outcome, so this is basically more to the business outcomes or KPIs and learning, they do an exercise of, of mapping, right? So we want to get higher CSAT scores. What are the variables that play really well or that play towards that CSAT score? It's, it's retention, first-time call resolution, and all these variables, and then they float up to create this KPI. And uh, uh, Tim Bryan from um, from GP does a great exercise in kind of leading customers through that. Um, so, so from the practicality sense of how do we start in mapping this ecosystem, right? So, so we have all these platforms, and and it's first mapping this ecosystem. And every organization has an ecosystem, and then you, once you put it on a slide deck and draw arrows, it becomes modern, right? So, so now okay. now. That understand you have it you understand each one of those platforms has data well let's let's start by aggregating that data together and that's where an organization like watershed comes in because we're going to facilitate that we're going to automate that flow of data and then be able to paint the single source of truth that single picture of that data coming together okay so you well i mean it sounds like before we we do that it sounds like what you're saying is uh and again i'm going to be the non-tech person here you're, it's almost like you're hooking up the data pipes yeah. Is that fair to say? Like Very you fair. got all these different bits of data. Now is all that data pure learning or can you actually tie in things like, you know, revenue and, and, you know, business, the operation, things that have nothing to do with learning. It can be additional layers of that cake where we say, let's first start the foundational, the learning data. Let's add a layer of HRIS or people in groups data. So now we can segment and zoom in, zoom out of all of that, add a layer of, operational data. So that could be a system like easy, easy and tangible, a CRM. We want to see if people are sales reps are learning sales enablement. And then are they ultimately selling or having calls about oh, products? Okay. Okay. Then you can bring an ERP system in for financial data. Um, and that adds additional layers from there. Okay. Now, James, you've done this, it sounds like, um, several times, like you're in this world. Um, is this mapping process, is it daunting? Um, like, what's it like? I, 
That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a grand question. Is is it daunting? Um, I think I think so. I think often when you start out on these journeys, you've got so many pieces of data that you can pull from that you never know where to start. But that's where, and you, you alluded to it earlier, the mapping. And what, so what we do and, and what our consulting team do, we sort of look at measurement maps. So what is it that we want to you know, map? And okay. then you go, you know, so if, if, if you're looking at it, it's like, where, where are we learning? Where do we want to move the needle? So if you think about it, that is where do we want to move the needle? How are we going to do that? What is it that, that's going to move that needle? And you go all the way through, and that allows you to sort of then sort of start to analyze that data, to look at it, to see where, where it is. You know, and that's where around learning programs or, or even your know, entire sort of you know, learning functions, you can start to baseline where they are now and then look at whatever you're doing and, and measure that change as you go through it. So you know you might look at you know like you say all of the all of the all of the learning data that's there and you sort of like map it out and you sort of go okay well, what am I trying to prove or disprove what am I trying okay. to show and then once you've got that you know it's very clear then to like take the data out of the systems and start to analyze that start to apply the analytics to it to to prove disprove you know whatever hypothesis you're putting forward so it might be that you know I want I want to you know sort of will train the sales reps in, you know, a leading questioning type, you know, so that they should be able to convert more calls to actual sales. You know, then you're sort of starting going from, well, actually, you know, if we put that in the training, how do we measure that? How do we put that into, into mm, a, to a okay. me measurable item? I.e., are they having the same number of calls? How many of those calls, you know, happen with a positive outcome? How many of those positive outcomes actually then convert into a sale? And you can sort of follow it all the way through that map. And then you can mm. start to look at, you know, did those individuals take the training? Have they put that training into practice? Are we starting then to see a difference in behavior of those individuals? And, you know, and as you know, Brandon said, actually then, can we pull data from the CRM that sort of says, that group of sales individuals that have gone through the training are starting to see more sales opportunities convert. And, and you can see then that you've got that entire map of what you're trying to measure all the way through to, to outcomes. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's starting to make sense. That makes some sense to me because, you know, initially when I think analytics, I start getting a little daunted, but you're starting actually with just very basic questions of uh, what are we trying to achieve with the business? who's involved, and then it almost like leads you to the data. Is that a fair assessment, Brandon? Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a shared customer that GP and Watershed have that had this really interesting use case to bring it to kind of the practical sense and how that is implemented, where okay. the, uh, the organization looked at high-performance sales individuals. And what they saw was the highest performing sales individuals bundled services. So they weren't just selling one line item. They were selling multiple mm. Right. And so the training that they then created was this kind of engaged gamification. And it doesn't have to be gamification. But the point is, is that it, get, it becomes targeted in how we train. And then this target focused on being able to bundle services. So asking questions, competing and being able to understand how services and leading questions can then lead to those bundled services. And they found the impact of that. And there's some great KPIs on it in the use case about created opportunities, win rates, and then size of opportunities. So so that downstream impact in really moving the needle by starting with the question. 
my sensors are going off in my head here. I can see this Holy Grail sort of appearing is you're saying the learning analytics helped you with a couple things. It, it sounds like you're saying it helped you first with, hey, what do what do top performers do? Mm-hmm. It helped you identify that. And then it helped you basically reverse engineer that into what do we need to double or triple down on in terms of learning and development? And then I can also see the third leg going, now we can also measure now that we've implemented these various learning and development things, we can now measure how that is impacting individuals too. So, I mean, it, am I tracking here? Am I putting the pieces together? The puzzles, the yeah. puzzles looking coherent. Oh, I yeah. love it. I think I'm, I'm ready to go to the dance floor here at this point. So I can also assume this, I'm going to continue on with the dancing analogy here is that, you know, as you dance, you get better, you pick up the steps quicker, you get more intuitive. I think, I'm just saying that I'm going to assume after watching the movie Dirty Dancing. So I'm going to assume the same thing must happen with um, with organizations as they mature in using their data. I'm assuming you can do more cool things with it. So let me ask this to you, too. And one of you raise your hand is how can an organization apply this concept? of analytics throughout their maturity. And by that, I mean by maturity, I really mean as they get more mature in leveraging their data and sourcing their data. So give us some examples. So, yeah, if I go, if I go back to some of our sort of like, you know, at, at, at the base level, your demand planning is, is, you know, sort of one of the core elements of, of, of where you've got a full managed service. Yeah. And that is, you know, sort of what training are we going to run at what time, at what point in the year with which individuals, and that you know requires data from the business units. It requires data from you know, sort of um, you know, their client services. When are they going to be busy? When can we fit the training in? How much are we spending on it? How much is it utilised? Um, and, and that I would say is at, is at your base level because that's effectively just taking all of that data and sort of going, all right, how do we structure a curriculum based around this so that we get the best you know the best um, attendance if you like at that. And and that's you know where we're at sort of what I would say, not necessarily the immature end, but the basic end of 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 the scale of really using that data. And okay. then you go to the far end, and, and I've seen this you know with, with other clients where you're then starting to look at, you know, actually you know, sort of across that learning, you know, actually which are the pieces that are really truly you know moving the needle on them, which are the bits that aren't being used, which are the bits that are, you know sort of becoming obsolete, if you like. And you start to see across learning the whole product life cycle, the whole product mm. um, you know, being done where you you effectively, you know, you build a piece of learning, you know what it's doing, you put it on the curriculum and then you'd sunset it when it when it starts being used. So you can, you know, you can really start to see how it's being measured. And then down to, you know, a, a project that we did um, in the last year where, you know, we actually redesigned a curriculum based around the, the company's output. You know, the actual piece that they wanted to change the, the, the change what people were experiencing and therefore change the business metrics, where actually we then went from, you know, just on that sort of basic level of, you know, data and, and planning through to actually looking at the business metrics, you know, looking at, 
those individuals, putting them through that sort of onboarding program, looking at their behaviors and their, their performance at the far side of it to see the uptick in, in mm. the output on that. And that was the customer service roles within, within the client. And so actually, you know, linking that back to then, you know, the CSAT scores or the customer satisfaction scores that sort of came back. And that's when you're then at that sort of much more, much more mature end of those, you know, of, of using that data. That's amazing to, to think that you can get from that of, like you said, starting with foundational and then getting to a point of, I'm hearing this word in my mind is uh, anticipatory or proactive versus a, a reactive posture right there. Brandon, have you seen that uh, being realized with tools like Watershed? It, it bodes really well for what we refer to as our learning analytics maturity model, right? So what um, the, the, the first category that we have is measurements. That's exactly what James says, that first we have this data that we're able to start working with, right? And that's looking at mm-hmm. high level stuff of, of what are people doing? What, 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 what does that mean? And that's when we start to go from measurement to evaluation and starting to work with mm-hmm. that, that data to understand if it's telling us something good or something bad, right? And then you can move to an advanced evaluation then inherently, why is that something good or something bad? And that's when the business objectives come in, which is so important that the business is defining, right? Because learning can't define the business objectives. And then four is is spot on to where James left it is this predictive and prescriptive model that we can predict that we're onboarding someone um, in six months. And then prescriptive is that we are able to, um, prescriptive is that we're able to say along that onboarding process, that we see there's a knowledge or performance gap. And now we can prescribe content or remediation or coaching to kind of help close that gap. All right, gentlemen, you are making my head spin here. This is very exciting about the idea of getting predictive, getting strategic. But I'm going to bring us back to earth here for a minute. And that is, let's just start back to the beginning of like, you know, we've got, let's say we're at an immature organization. And I and I mean that, and I mean that from a data analytics perspective here, like what's the key catalyst to really getting this, this whole concept working uh, across the organization and, and getting learning analytics to work for you? So James, let me start with you again, because you are actively working with clients. What's your thoughts on that? So, so I think the, the, the the key catalyst or the key way of you know making you know learning analytics work for an organization is 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 knowing what you're trying to to measure knowing what you're trying to do and and like any kpi or organizational result like once you're into that you know the 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 analytics produces a feedback loop it produces an answer that you can then take action on you know and then you go up to the sort of maturity level that sort of says well you know if you've got that feedback loop that feedback loop then feeds back into what are your next steps what are your next actions you know but the more data you have the more analytics you have the bigger the feedback loop or the multiple feedback loops you have the more you can actually build that into strategy and then you're starting to get into well you know can I change my learning strategy? Do I, you know, I know what's happened before. I know what's happening. Therefore, I can start to predict the future. I mean, very grand statement, predict the future. But, you know, you're able to put that into into strategy documents and start to think about it. That can be as simple as content strategy. Like, what's the most consumed content? What modality is that content? 
or you know it could be down to what are the most you know the, the future skills type content that is being consumed the most am i looking at being able to develop and adapt my workforce for whatever you know whatever's coming down in the mm. future you know and and i think that's really the the sort of catalyst to this if you can turn that data you know through analytics into a usable output because of those measurement maps because you know what you're measuring because you've been able to apply the analytics in a way you create those feedback loops and then we can all okay. you know, use that feedback to change our behavior. And, and then Brandon, since you're more on that, the, the side of implementation and you've seen this across many, many different clients, what are some examples of feedback loops just without naming client names, but give us some examples of some of these different loops that, um, that you've seen work. One that comes to mind, especially where James kind of, uh, uh, touched on with the content. We have a uh, large global organization that's focused on their content. Let's just say video content for this matter. And they use uh, our system in the reporting for, let's say, an anomaly detector, right? So if you finish a video, it gets four statements. This is all using XAPI. If you, if you don't finish a video or you watch it halfway through, you get less statements, right? So if you do a scatter chart and you see the dispersion of the uh, content objects based on the level of engagement. So on their specific report in the top right corner is highest engagement. And there's a few there. And then the majority of contents clustered in this bottom left corner, right? And so from there, we can start to extrapolate, all right, well, what are those content objects, right? So what are the characteristics of those items in the top right? Those are three minute videos, might be chapterized and someone can jump in, jump out and, and, and optimize there. Now, so let's use that as kind of core. Now we can add a layer to the cake that is the financial information. That financial information is how much does a specific content object take to create? So let's say some videos might cost 50,000 to put together and some might cost 5,000 or 500 if we're recording, recording it kind of quickly. So then we can start to overlay not only engagement level, the characteristics, but how much are we costing to do this? Maybe the 50,000 is not being highly engaged with. So we create this feedback loop of here's the types of content that sees the most engagement, that has this type of characteristics or ingredients that cost this much. So now we have a uh, content optimization, a cost optimization practice all created from this feedback loop of surfacing that data together. That's pretty amazing that you could bring up a report and say, listen, uh, potentially these dirty gorilla selfie videos. I, and again, I'm just theorizing. Maybe they work better than the ones where it's like the voiceover and the, you know, the whatever, you know, the, the expensive ones or something. Or, you know, or on the other end, maybe you're saying, listen, we need to justify a higher production value because we're getting a higher take rate. Exactly. on this kind of video right so you without knowing what it is the point is the data will lead you to reality exactly exactly <laughs> that's really cool stuff okay guys so i'm gonna also talk about some practical things with you um and, and what i want to do is just say okay what kind of companies are doing this stuff right now so talk to me about the the type of companies whether uh, you know that are involved already at this cutting edge here so and, and i'm talking like size scope the complexity of the organization so james i'm going to throw this one over to you first like what's what's been what have you seen as the appetite for this 
that's a, that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure I could break it down by the size and scale of a company because I've got you know, both ends of the scale where you've got okay. large multinationals that are you know, really interested in it, have been doing it for years, have, have been gathering the data and sort of you know, really, really applying it. And then you've got also large multinationals that are sort of like on their first steps on that journey. So I think, yeah, the one thing I could probably say is that everybody's on the journey. I think every you know, learning analytics has now got to the point where everybody is focusing on it. Um, the the the, bit, no, the answer is yes. Like uh, like a lot of people are doing this. A lot is of what people, you're saying. yeah, right. A lot of people okay. are doing it, but I think everybody's at everybody's <laughs> at a different stage. Okay, and, and Brandon, I mean, I know that you are doing this. You're industry agnostic at watershed here so what are you seeing in terms of the the types of organizations that have had a, a real appetite and are actively engaging in in learning analytics that's a that, I, I like this question because it so shows kind of the plethora of the types of organizations looking at it and i've seen from a watershed customer to successfully implementing this, we've seen some with 5,000 employees all the way up to 500,000 plus employees, right? So so that, oh, whole, wow. that whole gamut or the whole spectrum of, of, of size, right? Um, another variable or trait that I love in when I start speaking with prospects is that learning is seeing more strategically than it is with the compliance and, and, and typical HR learning, but it's seen more operational. So we've seen this move from learning as an org to more of an operational role rather than solely an HR and compliance role, right? And then successful traits, I would say, comes down to data sources that they have existing platforms that is that has data relevant instead of tracking everything in an Excel sheet. And then, um, and then it's, yeah, right. So and well, then, I was gonna say, I, I've I've had to do that for several clients where you've you're putting some somebody. Uh, usually, it's more of a uh, an intern, and you give them like ten Excel spreadsheets, and you're like, here, go go make some magic happen. And you see them about two weeks later, and they come up with some very uninformed information. So you're saying not doing that. I'm saying it's a part of the journey, right? So usually if you have this Excel sheet, maybe you're in the measurement stage, but access to that and bring it together could be pretty cumbersome. You're being um, very kind. You're like, there's uh, nothing wrong with that, but maybe there's an alternative that could automate that for you. And you push a button, it comes up with graphs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. So, you know, practically speaking again, you know, I know everything's not always sunshine and rainbows. Not everyone walks off um, having the time of their lives uh, in the arms of Patrick Swayze and all that kind of good stuff. So what are some of the obstacles to making this happen to using learning analytics? So who wants to tackle that one? Because, I mean, now we're talking about some of the challenges here. From, from our perspective and the type of conversations we have, it's the status quo, the status quo of we've always done it like this and we're going to remain doing it like this because maybe the pain points aren't loud enough yet for us to have to do it a different way. And 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 in order to get to this point of bringing something new in like this, it, it you need to have buy in. Right. And for so long, organizations are used to learning, only bringing those the big four of characteristics of learning uh, and swarm type 
information to the table, right? But when we operationalize it, so I'd say, uh, and then of course, data and platforms and data integrity is another big thing because the whole garbage in, garbage out perspective, if we're putting garbage in, we're not going to get the brilliant insights. So those are my big ones is, is remaining the status quo, getting the proper buy-in to know that we're, we're not just building this bridge for where we're at now, but where we want to go from that kind of maturity model that we discussed. Um, those would be my, my biggest obstacles to get started. I think, I think hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd add one to that, which, which I've okay. seen a lot, which is, which is like certainly in larger organizations, trying to get everybody to use the system yeah. or use <laughs> yeah, the different systems. Cause you, cause you'll get, you know, sort of like, you know, seven out of 10 business units using the LMS or the LXP. And so you can pull the data down and then you'll have three that use different Excel spreadsheets or you mm, use some fine. kind of internally built system. And so you've then got really <laughs> sort of separate data that, you know, but you're trying to pull something across, you know, all of those areas. So, yeah, I'd say one of, one of the biggest things I think is trying to get people to use the systems and use the systems right. fully. Another thing I wanted to ask you too about on this idea of obstacles is, you know, and I've kind of had this just with not necessarily with learning analytics, but it's just trying to figure out what people actually need. What are your thoughts? I suppose I suppose it depends. We've had the challenge certainly right at the offset of, you know, when people realize that, you know, being able to implement you know, learning analytics, you know, you know, requires you to start to look at learning through that sort of business outcome lens that actually, you know, all of a sudden they don't necessarily want to put the time in or they don't necessarily, you know, know the answer to that or they've got to bring some of the business people in and they don't have the time. So that can always be a challenge. But I think, you know, once you've got that use case in front of them, once you've got that sort of, um, you know, the idea out there that they can get something really useful from it, you'll often get that time. So the struggle is in in positioning it right, I think, more than more than getting the time or the outcomes from them. Got it. Brandon, how about you? Is that something that you that that you just consider part of the job that you have to face is helping people articulate what they truly need? The uh, my favorite tagline, at least for this year, is inspiring curiosity, right? And we might start a conversation with an organization because of X, right? But when, but, but that specific starting point might not get everyone on board to start the conversation. But when we say, okay, well, here's X, but then have you thought about Y? Have you thought about Z? Have you thought about these items and where we might go? And usually those people that are first hearing about it are like, okay, yes, that's something else we're trying to accomplish. We just haven't gotten it to the top, but now we're able to take out these objects through inspiring curiosity. Um, and so that's exactly what, what, what James noted is that when they hear the vision, when they hear this, this promised land that they're able to, to get buy-in and get on board, devote some time, of course, because everyone else is doing their own jobs, but we can kind of get them on the ship. Right. So gentlemen, you've been so very generous with your time here. So I wanted to ask you both one final thought about this topic of mapping business impact to learning with analytics here. So one final thought, if there's one last bit of uh, advice or a comment that you want to put a bow on this topic, I'm going to start with you, James, here, since you've got your lovely, I assume that's a golden retriever uh, in the room there with it's you. A, it's, it's a red fox Labrador. 
Wow. Oh, okay. Uh, excuse me. Lovely yeah, dog, rusty, though. Rusty you're doing a great job. <laughs> you're doing a great job speaking so intelligently with us while your dog's just showering you with love. Yeah. <laughs> but what's she, she one final thought? Like, yeah. what's what's um something that you'd like to say to the audience about this whole topic of learning analytics? I think I'd probably say like embrace it. Like, like learning needs to embrace analytics. It needs to embrace data. It's not comfortable with it because learning, I think, has always seen themselves as, as, as quite sort of fluffy and there for the people and trying to sort of develop them. And analytics and data are quite hard, you know, hard-edged. It's, it makes you make decisions that are very specific. But I think, you know, it's embrace it. We need to get on board with it. We need to be in the right place with data because... Yeah, this is really giving learning a seat at the table. It's kind of elevated them because now all of a sudden talent strategies aren't, you know, we're guessing at something. You know, the world we live in is moving so quickly. The talent strategies are now about, you know, keeping mm. companies relevant. You know, and, and learning analytics, I think, gives learning the edge in that discussion. Great thought, Brandon. I think it would kind of spin off of that and the mantra being is start now because it's hard to know where we're going if we don't know where we've been, right? So let's have our baseline through collecting this data now. And then let's kind of pave that way through those feedback loops, through the iterative fashion, pulling buttons or pulling levers, pushing buttons to kind of shape where we want to go. <laughs> okay. And if our listeners would like to know more about learning analytics, Brandon, where can they contact or find you? Um, so probably easiest would be on LinkedIn, right? Because then you don't have to remember my email address, but we can kind of have that in the show notes, my email address, but uh, LinkedIn would probably be the best. Okay, great. And then I'm assuming James, they'll find you at the dog park. Yeah, definitely. I'll be at the dog park in a minute with him trying to like burn some of his energy off the puppy. But I think, I think as Brandon said, the best one is probably LinkedIn. Um, yeah, my email address and things are on LinkedIn. So that'll be the easiest place to find. And we can certainly put them in the show notes as well. Very cool. Well, I have to say this has been a lot of fun. You two have been excellent dance partners. I've appreciated the time. And on behalf of our global listening audience, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's been really good fun. Thank you for taking the lead, Michael. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.